We're going to get into our message this morning, uh, so uh, buckle up for that if you want. It's again kind of a, uh, a more perhaps difficult uh, subject matter for us to be uh, engaging in as a church family, but it's overdue, and it's necessary, and it's good, and so it's worthwhile because of those things and more. We're, dive, we're taking kind of an introduction to a deep dive into our emotional health. Diving beneath the surface of the person that we present to the world, and even to ourselves, and even to God, looking at the distance or the discrepancy between who we profess to be, especially on social media, okay, or amongst one another in a church setting or wherever, uh, the distance or discrepancy between who we profess to be and who we are beginning to let the Lord and His Word and the, and the witness of one another shine a light on the things that we would just rather not deal with, okay? Ultimately, every one of us has a choice. We can continue living with the mess that is in our house or begin to clean it up. We can ignore the interior mess, okay? Or we can man up, woman up, and begin to fight the good fight, letting Jesus actually be the Lord of our lives in every single area, including our past, present, and future. Last week, we reflected on the reality that hard things happen, even to people that follow Jesus. Failed marriages, car accidents, cancer, abuse, death of a loved one, the inability to have children, and thousands of other hard realities, they hit us in this life like a ton of bricks. In fact, a negative major life-altering event becomes like a wall that we get stuck at in life. Bare minimum, an emotional, at an emotional level, but it does bleed out into every area of life. And like I mentioned last week, so much of our lives are lived out of our stuckness, emotional capacity or limits because of the walls that we have hit due to the hardships or difficult things in life that we haven't dealt with. Things from our childhood. Things that happened in adulthood when we, like our high school grads, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about the, the future and then life happens. And we get stuck, we get limited by this wall in front of us. Today is kind of like a part two to what we shared and reflected on last week as we want to grow in our understanding of what does it actually mean to walk through the wall with Jesus, to discover how sweet it is to trust Him. What does it actually look like? What does that entail? Okay? Um, so essentially, it's a, a deep dive into the reality of what it means to walk into our losses and our pain. A few weeks ago, uh, I shared with us the reality that to the degree that we ignore, ignore our own reality is the degree that we are distant or um, cold or separated from a true and genuine relationship with God. 
that you and I can only be as close to God as we are close to ourselves, or we can only know God to the degree that we're honest with ourselves. It's just how we were wired, how God made us. And so when we encounter loss in this life, it's not the uh, mature, uh, spiritually mature thing to just suck it up, buttercup. That's what men especially are told, just suck it up and move on. Be a man. That's what men are told. That's how a spiritually mature man just suck it up, move it on, kind, move on kind of a thing. Or in Christian settings, uh, we, you know, we say, you know, repeat the phrase, God works all things for good three times and the pain will disappear. Right? Just say that enough, and somehow magically, life will just get better, and you'll feel better about it. And all of a sudden, the pain and all the effects of the loss will just kind of wash away. Move on as though nothing has happened. And that's kind of how spiritual maturity has been sold historically uh, in in the church. And uh, yet, that's not the way of spiritual maturity in response to loss and suffering and pain. The spiritual mature, the way to walk with Jesus through it and into it is to walk straight into what you are feeling with God, before God, waiting on Him. Did you know that uh, the longest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, about a third of the, of, the, of the prayers or the songs offered are laments? Think about that. Or did you know that there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, or there's a whole other book of the Bible, and it's a long one, uh, called the book of Job, that is all about one man's journey into his loss and into his suffering, and where is God in the midst of it all? We live in a sinful, evil world, and the Bible doesn't ignore uh, this reality and its effect on us. And it certainly doesn't gloss over the fact that every one of us will experience loss, pain, and suffering in this world. In fact, Jesus even said, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will suffer the effects of evil, sin, and death, and even for giving your yes and following Jesus, you'll experience even stuff on top of that. And yet God is gracious enough to resource us through His Word and more in how to walk with Him through and into our loss and grief. And it is a critical part of our maturing. It's a critical part. In fact, if we don't engage it, bare minimum at an emotional level, we will remain stuck the rest of our life. Now, as much as I sometimes get frustrated by the book of Job in particular, I am so glad that it's in the Bible, because the book of Job is just real. It's raw, it's true, and in case you're new to Christianity or the Bible, the book of Job, like I mentioned, follows the journey of this man named Job (laughs) through the colossal loss of his loved ones, possessions, health, and the respect of those closest to him. And why this book is so frustrating, to me at least, is that Job wasn't a bad person. Hmm. You know, if he was a jerk, or if he was like Hitler, 
we'd read that book and be like, yes, he's getting what he deserves. But Job was a good man who loved and trusted God with all of his heart. And even still, God let evil try to destroy Job's faith by taking away all of the good things in his life. And it's this reality that I struggle with, that we all do if we're honest, that God and his ways are so much bigger than the theological box or the theological throne that I put him on. We rarely know the why of why bad things happen. And it's hard for us to understand how evil and sin can be used by God to bring a greater blessing than had life gone the way that we had preferred or thought would be, would be right. And yet it's true. Job's life for us becomes an example of what it means to journey through the hard things of life with God. To be honest about how we are feeling and the reality of what's going on in our lives and yet to walk with God through it all. Especially when things are so hard and so painful and lasting so much longer than we think they should that it appears like God is silent or even absent or he is weak or he has lost his mind altogether. In the book uh, written by Pete Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is the book that we're using as a guide into this topic uh, of emotional health, the author observes five steps that Job takes through the book of Job. And really, all of us may take these same five steps as well uh, into our loss and into our grief. And they are first, that we need to pay attention. The second, wait in the confusing in-between. Third, embrace the gift of limits. Fourth, climb the ladder of humility. And fifth, let the old birth the new in his time. So first, pay attention. This is, by the way, the opposite of ignoring our emotions, denying our pain, blaming ourselves or others, however we cope with the hard stuff of life. Maybe we become hostile and we are angry all the time or in certain situations or we distract ourselves or we rationalize things away or we intellectualize them or in the church we spiritualize them away, our pain. Job 3, 1 to 4, listen to the pain in his voice. He says this, after this, after meaning all the bad things that happened to him, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived, may it perish. That day, may it turn into darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it, he says. And then in Job chapter 6, he writes this, if only my anguish could be weighed, and all the misery be placed on the scales, it surely would outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty One in me, my spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Can you feel his pain? 
He, he, he's at a point where it's so, so low and there's so much pain that he'd rather not been born. And when he compares the misery of his life to anything he's ever seen or witnessed before, it's the worst. Haven't we all maybe been there before? My pain is way worse than your pain. <laughs> and yet we read throughout the story of Job, he shouted at God, he prayed wild prayers, he told, exactly, he told God exactly what he was feeling. And for 35 long chapters, we read how he struggled with God, how he doubted, how he wept, scraping the sores on his body with broken shards of pottery. He wondered where God was and why all this had happened to him. And it's tempting to ignore uh, the reality of our loss and grief, and we too will push it down, and yet it doesn't magically disappear. And if we do push it down or if we do ignore it, it slowly leaks out in the way that we do life. Passive-aggressive behavior, sarcasm, a nasty tone of voice, giving others the silent treatment, anger, bitterness, a hard heart, or a closed-off heart, or we become overly sensitive, especially in certain areas. We have to enter the mess with God and with one another if we want to avoid being stuck for the rest of our life. Speaking of the rest of our life, how long does it take to get through the loss and pain that we suffer in this life? And my answer to that is I have no idea. <laughs> Every situation is different. The only thing I can probably guarantee with any sense of certainty is it'll last longer than you want. <laughs> no one likes to wait, especially in hard times. Yet that's what Job did. The second thing we must do in addition to paying attention is we must wait in the confusing in between. Job had to wait so long that his closest, those closest to him quit on him adding more pain to the already unbearable pain that he was experiencing. And they weren't of any help anyways to begin with. They didn't even really stick by his side. We read in Job 4, one of his friends says this, Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Were you, or, uh, where were the upright ever destroyed, he says. As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Meaning... Job, you must have done something wrong or evil to deserve all that's happening to you. And the church, like Job's friends, can do likewise, especially in the confusing in between. We can be so cruel to those who are in pain. Either saying you're, you're, you're uh, not being faithful because you're sad, or you're in a season of, of sorrow, and, that, and that's not how a Christian should weather pain or suffering. Or saying, you know what? You must have done something wrong uh, to have what happened to you happen to you. You know, maybe you didn't read the Bible enough. Maybe you don't pray enough. Maybe you didn't give enough. That's why you're going through the hard times that you're going through. When Job actually teaches us that there are no quick, fix, no quick fixes to our loss and grief, and that sometimes bad things happen 
to good people. So Job teaches us. And we must wait in the in-between, walking it out with God and His timing. It's a path that we must take where the waiting sometimes becomes its own pain on top of the pain of loss. Yet even in there, even in the waiting, there's more good inner work that needs to be done. And what is this inner work that God is doing in our lives, in the waiting and in the pain and suffering? It's teaching us to embrace and to see our limits as gifts. Our limitations are a gift from God. As I mentioned last week, the very reason that God allows hard things to happen to us is so that we can be broken enough to let him in and begin to do the deep inner work that needs to be done and to discover just how sweet it is to trust Jesus, to actually experience the reality that if I have Jesus, I have more than enough for this life and what is to come. To come to the realization that there is a God and I am not him. It's one of the most profound and needed realities and perspectives and attitudes that we need and should have in this life. See, God's goal for our life is not to make us comfortable in this life. That's not his ultimate goal for you or for me. It is to prepare us for heaven. God's sole goal in life is not to make you happy just for the 70, 80 years that you get in this world if you're lucky you're fortunate. It's to make you holy. Recognizing that it's only true holiness that actually makes us happy. We don't even know what truly makes us happy. If we pursue just life based on what we make us happy, we will end up more miserable than we began. But you deny your happiness and you pursue God's holiness And you will look back like the psalmist David and say, surely goodness and mercy followed me all the days of my life. One old preacher said, God cares more about your line of eternity than the dot of this life. If life was just perfect on earth, we would not be awakened to the reality of our sin and the presence of evil. We would not see our need for someone to rescue us from our sin and evil. We would think that we are God. And when the only reason that any of us is alive today and that there is any good in this life whatsoever is because of God's mercy and God's patience towards us. And at every stage or every event of loss and grief, There is a humbling awakening to our limits. We have a body that is slowly dying. Even our young are waking to that reality. Our bodies are corruptible. They are slowly decaying and breaking apart, and they don't heal as fast as they used to. We come from families of our families of origins that are highly dysfunctional. Our marriage and our relationships aren't even close to perfect. Or we struggle in singleness. Or our intellect and our talents, even on our best days, 
is but a scratch on the surface of the planet compared to the ever-extending and expanding cosmos. We have but a few decades on this planet, and our understanding of God is so small compared to how big and wondrous and powerful and holy he truly is. And it's our limits, the things that frustrate us the most, that reveal to us this truth most clearly. They help us see just how small we are compared to God. And guess what? That perspective is a good thing. Because it's us that believe that we are either equal to God or better than God or no more than Him that actually got us into this mess in the first place. Job 40, as he's you know, gone through all of this waiting on God through the suffering and loss, he comes to this humbling reality. Job chapter 40, verse 3 to 5 says this, Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more, he says. Job came to the humble realization that God is just so much bigger than even a faithful man of God can even begin to comprehend. And honestly, isn't that a relief to know that he is God and I am not? Honestly, and we, all, we all want to play God and to be God, but like as we, if, especially the older we get, I think we realize I do not know how to lead my own life, let alone anyone else's. Aren't you glad that he is God and you are not? I'm glad. <laughs> and this journey that, that, that Job provides for us as an example and many others in Scripture and throughout history, this journey into loss before God it matures us through a path that no one actually willingly wants to travel, yet it is our salvation. Our eyes begin to see with greater clarity the majesty and the beauty of our Lord and Savior. And the net result of us waking up through our limitations and through our pain and our suffering is that we are humbled back to our knees on the earth, calling out to a Savior to help us, to rescue us, to strengthen us, to deliver us. And it's why the next stage after that, or the next step that we must take, if we want to walk, God with, walk with God into our loss, is that we must then begin to climb the ladder of humility, as this one author describes it. Job emerged from his suffering as a more humble man. He was a different man. He was a better man. After a long time of silence, what might have very well been years of him going through this, God speaks to Job in chapter 42, repeatedly calling Job this new phrase, my servant, my servant indicating that there is a new level of intimacy and humility that Job now has with God as a result of the hard road that Job has walked out. 
And even when Job, at the end of his suffering, at least this chapter of life, uh, at the end of, uh, of it all, and he could have, you know, turned to his friends that turned his back on him during that hard time and given him a big, I told you so. Even when he could have done that, Job was a transformed and a humble man. Instead, he, he chose to bless his friends. We aren't to run away from our loss. We are to walk into it with God and let, us, let him bring us to a place of greater humility, which is where God loves to begin to do a new thing. A new thing in your life. We are stuck so long as our pride stays at the current level or, or, or degree of pride that we have, and yet our limits and our losses, they break us. And that's a good thing. Because what God wants to do is he wants to let the old birth the new. With God's perspective, with his instruction and humility, Job begins to let go of his loss by letting go of his pride and entrusting his life to God in a greater degree than before. And God births something new. Something even greater than the former. In Job 42, we read this. After Job had prayed for his friends... The Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. God's will for our lives is not always easy. It entails dying to self. But in doing so, we get to experience the fruit of being born again, the fruit of the resurrection. Jesus in John chapter 12 said this, Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And Jesus modeled that for us. You see, our God isn't a God that asks us to go through something in life that He isn't willing to do or hasn't even done or experienced Himself. Have you ever considered the loss and the grief that our sin caused him. The heartache and sorrow that our sin causes him. The grief that dragging our feet or running away from him causes him. And aren't you grateful that Jesus didn't ignore or run from the pain that we are <laughs> in his life as his kids? He didn't blame or shame. He entered into the mess of our loss and of, of his loss and of his grief, dying to self to make a, way, a right way into relationship with him. And so today, we're actually going to close with communion. And it is the act of remembering his death as a payment for sin, his death as a way to new life. And in doing so, we are humbled by our evil and by our sin and by his goodness. Don't wait for God's discipline to humble you. Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Don't wait for God's discipline to humble you. 
willingly bow before him today, recognizing that he is God and you are not. We have rebelled and sinned against him, against one another and against ourselves. And the invitation of our humble Savior is to confess your sin, change your direction, call out to him to forgive you, and he will. Let him guide you forward. Call on him to help you walk the road of letting him into your loss and your grief, to wait on him to guide you and to lead you in and through the wall or the, the, the suffering that perhaps we've been ignoring or running away for or have been pushing down for so long or maybe is just right present, you know, face and center and before us today. This morning as we receive communion, see in the bread and the cup his love and his provision for you, his heart and his commitment to your good. That even when it appears like God is absent, silent, a jerk even, that you can look at the bread and the cup and you can remember that God is for you, not against you. He is so much bigger and greater than any of us can even begin to understand. And the wisest and the best thing we can do through the lens of his cross, through the lens of communion, is to see in him that he is both humble and good. And it's his definition of what is good, not ours, not how we're feeling, is what is good and right and true for this life and the one to come. You invite know, the band to come up um, now, and they'll play in the background. I want you as a church, I want us as a church, whatever God is speaking to you today, to allow this time of communion to humble you and to change how you see Him, yourself, and your life. And we're actually going to pass out the elements old school, how we used to do it before communion, where we pass them, we serve one another, pass them down the row, and then it goes to the next row today. It's a, a good day. Okay. <laughs> and we'll wait for everyone to receive the elements before I'll lead us in receiving them together. But even now, as the band begins to play and as we begin to disperse the elements, can the, our heart's attitude be this simple prayer, Lord, have your way in us today. Have your way in me today. All right, ushers, you can distribute them and uh, just quietly contemplating that and then I'll, I'll lead us. Through the lens of the cracker and the cup, we see and we remember and we proclaim our Lord's death, his sacrifice gifted to us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us receive together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us receive the cup together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your love, your goodness, your truth, and your justice that was fully present, fully evident, fully applied uh, in and through and to your Son. And he now gives to us the gift of his life laid down for us to any and all who will receive him, any and all who will let go of their life, let go of their pride, humble themselves, repent of their sin, and call on Jesus to save them, to heal them, to forgive them, to liberate them from our brokenness, from our corruption, from our sin and our hard-heartedness, from our rebellion and pride, from our failures and mistakes, from our arrogance and our brokenness, and Lord, to heal us, to save us, to forgive us, to put us back onto solid ground, stable ground, stable footing in you and through you and by you. Lord, today as your church, we gather before you to remember this generous and gracious act of love that is sufficient to cover our past, our present, and our future for all of humanity, for all of time. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy shown to us through your death and your love and your act of obedience towards our Father in heaven and towards us. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and what you are about to do. May the love that we see in your Son motivate us to trust you in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our suffering, when we're waiting in that confusing time where we feel that you aren't good or you aren't near or you aren't strong, would we look to your cross and see who you truly are and humble ourselves before you, walk with you through the ups and downs of life. Bring us to that good end that you have in store for us, we pray in your name. Amen.